I have found the key Honey darling, you believe Lonesome roads we've seen Well honey darling, keep your eyes wide and see That we can join our hands And take for hours all of this land Honey darling, you understand if it's hill in your heart, I can. I'm Andrew, and I am the host of Armchair Apocrypha, the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Um, Rachel is in Montreal this week, and so it's just going to be you and me. And because I don't often host it myself, I wanted to do something a little bit differently. Uh, I'm going to be reading a section out of one of my current works in progress. If you... um, are interested in in uh, my writing, if you're interested in Lovecraftian horror, cosmic horror, scary stuff, please stick around. If that's not your jam, you may want to skip ahead to the next uh, episode or wait for the next episode to come out, um, and we will get back to our uh, usual format next week. Um, Mercury is currently asleep on the couch, so hopefully he won't cause too much trouble. Uh, So I'm going to jump into it, and I hope that you enjoy the story. You were a young woman, living in a house full of shelves. The shelves were packed full of items you needed for your research and projects. You had filled the house and the garage with everything you could possibly need. One morning, you received a package from another young woman, though you had not spoken to her in years, and you were unsure of why she had sent the sample to you. At first, you even you weren't even sure what the sample was. The glass jar, about the size of a roll of paper towels, swirled with a bright green mist that wrapped and flowed around the empty areas inside. It kind of looked like a lava lamp. Freeing the glass jar from the packing peanuts, you ruffled through the box, searching for answers. At the bottom, your fingers cut the corner of a postcard, which you gripped and pulled. The front of the postcard showed what appeared to be a charcoal sketch of a woman and a dog sitting together on a hill. The woman was wearing hiking boots, and the dog appeared to have uh, walked through mud. The two had clearly been on a trek somewhere. Around the edges of the postcard were bare branches, stretching out like thin black hands towards the woman and her pet. At the top of the postcard was what you assumed to be the name of the area she and the dog had been, Anna Nikaran. At the bottom, between the woman's feet and the dog, the sample jar. You flipped the postcard over to find a message written for you. Sydney, Haraheart is lovely this time of year. Wishing you well. Wish you were here. Love, Kim. No answers there. You went to the internet and searched Ananikaran and Haraheart. You didn't find any answers there either. Finally, you texted Mies. She said she would come over after work. 
You took the jar and put it on your desk, turning on the LED lamp you had clamped to the corner of the desk. It illuminated the green in a way that made it seem to glow. The swirls looked more solid like this, small tentacles wrapped around a dark green core. What are you? you asked it, hoping for an answer it couldn't possibly give you. Your breath condensed on the glass, and the green swirls floated softly to the edge, as though reaching for the warmth of your breath. For some reason, you backed away from it as it drew closer. You didn't know why it made you nervous. Mies came by that night, and you made her dinner. What is it? she asked. I don't know. Why did Kim send it to you? she asked. I don't know. What do you know? she asked. It freaks me the fuck out, you told her. She turned on the LED lamp and peered into the green mist. It reminds me of something out of Lovecraft or King, she said. Miasma or ether from between dimensions. Do you think it could be connected to all the strange stuff that's been happening lately, you asked? Those things in the sky? The weird weather? The people going missing? Could be, she said, pulling a chair under her. Do you have a mask? You went to the garage and searched your shelves until you found a couple of respiratory masks, which you brought back. She put one on, tied it to fit her, then looked at you. You did the same. She reached up and unscrewed the top of the jar, carefully lifting it off and placing it to the side. The aether did not move. A heavy gas, she said, her voice muffled. She took a small jar from one of the shelves and carefully scooped out some of the aether, sealed both jars, then took her mask off. Mind if I take this with me, she asked. May as well, you told her, removing your own mask. Don't mix it up with your insulin or anything. You're sweet to worry, she said, wrapping it up in a cloth and sliding it into her purse. I'll take a closer look in the lab, and I'll let you know if I find anything. Thank you, you told her. She hugged you and left. You turned the lights out and crawled into bed. From your bed, you could see the aether. It felt like it was staring at you. Stepping out of bed, you grabbed a shirt from one of your shelves and tossed it over the jar. It took you a little while, but you were finally able to fall into the dark abyss of sleep. You felt like shit at work the next day. Your head was cloudy, your sinuses sore, your chest heavy. You had multiple clients and they all wanted to talk for the full hour they were scheduled. Your lunch hour was your only reprieve. When you got home, you moved the jar to the garage, blaming it for your ill health. You went to bed early that night. You didn't hear your phone when Mish tried to call. Waking up at two in the morning, you leaned over the side table and saw the notification. You picked up the phone and called. Do you know how late it is? She asked. Sorry, I just woke up, you told her. You called? I was just walking home, wanted someone to talk to you, she said. Sorry I wasn't there, you said. You're fine, she said. Go back to bed. Good night, she said. Sweet dreams, she said. You were dehydrated from your long sleep, so you decided to go get a drink from the kitchen. But when you opened your bedroom door, you stopped. The walls of your living room were, were glowing a bright green color, the same as the aether from the jar. You abandoned your quest for something to drink and closed the door, stepping backward away from it. The aether slipped in like heat, coating the space in front of the door, highlighting the door's frame. You got into bed and pulled the covers up over you as it sl slowly crept along the walls and floors of your room. The light that it cast grew brighter and more intense until the morning light flooded in the windows and the glow of the aether disappeared almost instantly. You used a sick day. It wasn't as though you'd gotten better overnight, and as you stood up and started moving around, you discovered a couple new symptoms. A cough that racked your body, and a rash that formed around your belly and thighs. 
The lack of sleep from the morning also made it difficult to focus as you began calling people to see if anyone would take the aether from you. Did you need something else? Leon answered. Something else, you asked. Yeah, you just called a minute ago. About the jar? you asked. Yeah. Sorry, I don't remember. Sid, get some rest. You sound terrible. Nobody would take the jar of aether from you, and everyone recommended you get some rest. You sealed your bedroom door with duct tape, pulled on one of the respirator masks, and went to sleep. You had to go the, to work the next day. You had a team meeting about a very important client. Your manager, gave me, uh, your manager gave you permission to leave as soon as the meeting was done, so you held a cloth over your mouth and coughed into it, taking notes with your other hand. With about 20 minutes left to go, you got a text from Meese. Something's wrong, she said. Can you come to my house? I'm in a meeting now, you said. I can be there in 30 minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, just come as soon as you can, okay? Next 20 minutes may as well have taken 20 years. All you wanted was to go to Meese, but you couldn't until you were dismissed. It's time for you to go. Just one more thing, your manager said. You rushed out of the room and across the hall to the bathroom, barely making it to the toilet before losing your breakfast. One of your coworkers came up behind you and rubbed your back. Go home, she said. I'll cover you. It took longer than it should have to get your car out of the garage because of a bus of people disboarding for the hotel. It took you even longer to get out of downtown because of traffic. I'm on my way, you texted me. Traffic. Be there when I can. Don't bother, she texted back. You don't care. You never cared. Meese, you texted. There was no answer. You called. There was no answer. When you got to the front door and knocked, there was no answer. Meese had been paranoid about her neighborhood, so she didn't hide a spare key anywhere. You had to break a window in her dining room and crawl over the threshold. You closed the door to the dining room so the cats couldn't get out and locked it so nobody could get, uh, get in the same way that you did. You checked her bedroom, but she wasn't there. You heard one of the cats mew from the living room and stumbled in to find Meese on her couch. She wasn't moving. You rushed over to her and picked her up by her shoulders, holding her to your chest. She wasn't breathing, and she didn't stir. Meese, please, you sobbed. I'm here. I'm here. Meese didn't answer. You called the emergency line, trying desperately to explain the situation. You don't know what you said, but they sent an ambulance. The EMTs put her on a stretcher and wheeled her out. You stayed behind in her empty house. After a while, the cats began to whine for food, so you fed them. Then you fell asleep on her couch. The cats nestled up to you in your sleep, and they were warm, and you felt better. They woke you up before the sun came up again, and you stood up to feed them. But when you looked down, you saw their eyes. Their eyes were both glowing with the green of the aether, and when they breathed, the green mist came out of their mouths and noses. You toppled back onto the couch, scrambled over the couch's edge, and rushed through the front door. Shivering in the cold of the morning, you packed yourself into the car and drove home. You waited in your driveway until the sun rose, then opened your garage door and stepped in. Strapping a respirator mask on, you picked up the bottle, which was unusually heavy, and smashed it down on the concrete floor of the garage. Neighbors came out of their houses to see what was going on. None dared approach, though. The swirling ball of aether was undisturbed. You reached over to a shelf and found a box cutter. Sliding it out, you bent down and cut into one of the slender tentacles. To your surprise, against all laws of physics that you were aware of, 
The mist split like marshmallow fluff, the tentacle falling to the ground. So you slice some more, more and more of the aether shedding from the ball, as though you were cutting into a cocoon. More and more you cut, and more and more the mist fell and dissipated, and closer and closer to the dark center you got. The box cutter broke, and so did the aether. A round dot hung in the air, about a foot off the ground. You watched as it spun in the air and unfurled. The many eyes of a spider stared at you, two fangs unfolding, four arms reaching toward you. You lifted your leg up and stomped down on the spider at the heart of the aether, feeling it crunch under the sole of your shoe. Instantly you felt better, as though you'd shed the source of your illness, your lost energy returning quickly. You hadn't realized how much like death you'd felt until you felt alive again. Stepping back from the spider, breathing clear and easy for the first time since you'd received the aether, you sighed. A moment later, your sigh turned into the gasp, as hundreds of smaller spiders, each one glowing with the green light of aether, swarmed up from the back of their dead mother and scurried towards the neighbors who had gathered to watch you. That's the end of that chapter. I hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, like I said, we will be back to our usual format next week. Um, if you have any criticism, if you feel like... Um, if you feel like you want to read this book or anything like that, uh, you can reach out to us at absintheactivismarts at uh, gmail.com. Uh, you can find my other writings on our website at absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at absintheactivismarts, on Twitter at absintheactart. Um, I am on the Fediverse at uh, AWM writes uh, on uh, Mastodon and Diaspora. Um, I am on Instagram as AWM writes, and there are lots of pictures of Mercury. Um, we have a Patreon set up, and this work in progress is one of the um, one of the reward tiers. If you feel like giving us money, so we can make better pro uh, better podcasts. Um, and help me uh, stay motiva motivated to continue my work. Um, I think that that's it. Uh, so we're going to, uh, I'm going to get out of here. Um, and we will see you guys in about two weeks. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Mortar shells have deafened. My ears, but the ringing has lessened. The dreams I've dreamed, they've threatened. My sanity at your presence is a blessing. For you make me forget the times tragedy and I had met and the nights I'd awakened in sweat. Seems the years before you were my greatest debt.
Honey darling, look above The moon fits the clouds like a glove Honey darling, my love Sometimes I fish the sky for what I'm thinking of Cause my tongue stays tied in knots this feeling inside, can I ride it to the top? My hands have closed the gates. Now we're inside, let's love and leave it up to fate. 